Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. Sustainable Stories is here to bring you the stories behind sustainability in our communities. From big to small, practical to theoretical, we're exploring the people and projects that are working to make our world a more sustainable, equitable, and healthy place to live. Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. My name is Jenna Inglot, and I will be your host for today's episode. I'm really excited today to be chatting with Sarah Langley, who is a registered dietitian. She also has her master's in public health, and she works with Indigenous communities in that space. So welcome, Sarah. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. No problem. So just to get us started, started off, Sarah, could you tell us a bit about um, yourself and who you are and, and what you do and maybe bit, a bit about the journey that, that got you there? Sure, for sure. So um, I'm a registered dietitian. I did my training to become a registered dietitian through the U of S. It's about a five-year program um, that includes a one-year practicum. And I did my practicum um, with uh, several Indigenous communities, including the Meadow Lake Tribal Council. And I just felt such a connection to the culture, even though I'm not Indigenous myself. And I felt finally like I had found uh, people who had a really similar mindset to me and people who cared about the earth and planet in the way that I did. And that this whole um, idea of holistic health really spoke to me, the way that the medicine wheel is. It just made so much sense to me. And so I really knew that I wanted to spend the rest of my career continuing to learn from and with um, Indigenous people. So I got my first job with the Prince Albert Grand Council afterwards, and I worked in some really loving, wonderful, amazing communities, some really isolated communities. And it really, um, working in isolated communities really teaches you about the social determinants of health in a really real way. Um, to see how hard it is for people to access food and how expensive food is in Northern communities. It really sparked a passion for me in food security and food sustainability and food sovereignty because communities that can grow and procure their own food are just so much better off because the, the food supply doesn't, doesn't, is not kind to Northern or rural communities for sure. And so from there, I I got a job um, in Regina. I wanted to move to Regina to be close to my family. So that's where everyone is. My sister was having babies and I just needed to be with them. And then um, I moved here and I work with the First Nations Inuit Health Branch now, um, but still with First Nations communities. And and I still find a lot of value in that. And it really soothes my soul. Um, So then I, I really felt like I was missing some tools in my toolbox for providing food sovereignty and food security support to communities. And so I decided to do my master's in public health, which I did through University of Victoria. And I took the social policy stream, which because it was more relevant to my work. And I learned just so much through my MPH and it's really kind of shaped the type of professional that I am and a lot of decisions that I make in my personal life. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that, Sarah. Yeah, I it's interesting. I, my work, um, has, has been with, with indigenous communities for, for my entire career as well. And, um, being a non-indigenous person myself, it's interesting because, you know, mainstream discussions around sustainability are growing and becoming more popular, but I'm, I'm always cognizant that, you know, we use that particular term and the, you know, the way we talk about it and, but the concept of it is not 
is 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 indigenous. Like it's not something that is new to indigenous people. It is um, maybe not described in the exact same way, but it is inherently um, indigenous. And we have so much to learn from, um, you know, from those communities and, and cultures. So, yeah, I'm I'm uh, yeah, that's a, a huge part of that that story that you just shared. So thank you for sharing that. Can you chat a little bit about what the term sustainability means to you and and then how you sort of integrate that sustainability lens into the work that you do? For sure. So this, yeah, I really struggle with this question. I guess to me, sustainability means just doing the best that I can in a good way and trying to minimize my impacts and the impacts of my decisions, my work, um, my lifestyle on the environment because I am just so aware that every decision has a ripple effect and I try not to get paralyzed by that. It's really easy to get paralyzed by that, but um, yeah, sustainability means just taking the extra time and putting the extra work into making sure that our impacts are as little as possible in the land and the water and the space that we live in for sure. And I really incorporate that into my work now because I learned a lot through my master's in public health about the one health approach and health, health in all policies. And so the one health approach, it's so intuitive and makes so much sense. And again, it's inherently very indigenous, Um, but we don't typically talk about public health in this way, but one health is uh, the concept that People can't be healthy if the land isn't healthy. People can't be healthy if the water isn't healthy. Animals can't be healthy if the land isn't healthy. And people can't be healthy if the animals aren't healthy because we eat the animals. And so everything is so connected and everything is so related. And so as a public health professional now, I really try to take that one health approach and remember that this isn't, public health shouldn't just be about human health. It shouldn't just be about vaccinations and fluoridating the water supply or, um, you know, ATV safety or seatbelt stuff. If public health should be about how do we protect the land? How do we ensure the waters are protected? How do we, how do we minimize our impact? How do we encourage restorative agriculture so that we can continue consuming animal products in a less harmful way and, and those sorts of things. So I really try to incorporate that into all of the work that I do and, and I am lucky that I get lots of students and I, I work with lots of dietitians in communities. And so I feel like I have a little bit of influence with those people. And so I'm always just gently sliding that sustainability message in there. And I talk about climate change every day. I just can't help it. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, uh, Sarah. I feel like I, I've never heard that term, I assume, because I, I, you know, I don't have that background in, in public health, but that one health concept um, and, and the way you described it and and absolutely that it, it, it's again, we're sort of, we're teaching it and sharing it in a, in, in a non-Indigenous context, but absolutely that that's inherently an Indigenous concept. It is not new to Indigenous people. So um, but I think, you know, it's important and, and it's there, it's sort of growing in a, in a public realm as well, this understanding that, well, I hope it's growing. <laughs> similarly, <laughs> similarly, I talk about this stuff every day and in every way. And, and so, you know, I really hope it is growing in a public realm as well. But this idea that, yeah, without healthy soils, we can't produce healthy food and we can't have healthy people eating 
food from from soils and in air and water that it, that isn't well. Um, and so, yeah, so so much of what you said, I think, resonates with me as a, as a non-public health working person. Um, but I'm glad to hear that there's folks within that space, like really, really looking at this holistic health um, concept. So the other thing you mentioned, Sarah, was this idea and of, of feeling, you know, you said you try not to feel paralyzed. And I, I similarly, I, you know, I, I think about sometimes I get caught up in reading about climate change or, or what's going on in this place or what, you know, what's going on with this ecosystem or what, and I feel so overwhelmed. And, and that's one of the things we're trying to sort of aim to do through this podcast is share some stories, um, you know, of ways people are are doing this work and, and integrating this work, because I think, you know, the, those sort of tangible, actionable things are are helpful when we start to feel anxious or overwhelmed by yeah. by everything that needs to be done. So, yeah, anyways. <laughs> it's, easy, uh, it's easy to get caught up, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm curious, Sarah, like the passion for this subject it just it's I you know we're not in the same room but I can sort of feel it bubbling <laughs> out of you um I'm curious where where your sustainability story begins like can you pinpoint a, a you know a time in your life um where you really started to get interested in this and and you know who or what or, or how did you get get interested or get started I I thought long and hard about this question and 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 people have asked me it before because like you said I can't contain this <laughs> I can't contain the energy about it it just flows out and I honestly my sister and I used to watch Fern Gully on repeat we only had you know like four VHSs and Fern Gully was one of them and and it's a story about um, forest fairies and uh, deforestation for paper. And about the forest fairy teaching one of the uh, laborers from the pulp mill um, about how his actions hurt the forest. And, and there's one moment in the in this movie where she takes his hand and he she puts it on a tree and she says, can't you feel its pain? And I honestly think that that is the moment for me that I realized our actions influence the environment so, so much. And we have so much power to do so much harm as humans. And we're the only, you know, living thing that causes damage to the world in the way that we do. Plants don't do that. Animals don't do that. You know, everything else kind of exists in this perfect harmonious ecosystem where they are accidentally doing one health and we just kind of mess all that up. And so I think that's when I realized that I had a responsibility as a human to do better and be better. And I was probably five or six, seven or eight. I don't know, but I became a little advocate, a little environmentalist then. And I just preached about the environment from then on. I have a, I have a picture from grade five and they were like, draw what you think you want to be when you were older. And I wrote, I want to be an environmentalist. And it's just a drawing of me in the forest and there's an owl on my arm. <laughs> so I think maybe that's where it came from. And, and I was just so lucky to have really supportive, loving people around me all the time that kind of maybe would roll their eyes when I started getting up on my little soapbox, which I try not to do. I heard someone else in one of your other podcasts say he tries not to preach because people don't want to be preached at. 
Mm-hmm. And I agree so much. People don't want to be preached at, but it's really hard when you feel really passionate about something to kind of find that balance of sharing, sharing yeah. the passion and sharing the education without shoving it down people's throats. So I'm still working on that balance, but yeah, I just started doing really little things. Um, I just, I remember that reduce, reuse, recycle campaign so clearly it just hit with me as a kid. <laughs> and so I've always tried to buy as few single serve single use items as possible. And even as a kid, I, I, I just was aware of the consequences of those actions. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I think I just started in little household daily ways. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great story. I, I feel like the image for this podcast episode should be, you should find that drawing of you with the owl. <laughs> on your I will look for it. <laughs> I'm just teasing. You don't have to, but I just, that's so, um, it's so interesting because I, I think about my own story and then so many, so many folks who, who have, you know, participated on the podcast so far have linked their story back to their childhood in some way, or some, you know, maybe not just one event, but sort of a series of events or, or where they grew up or people they, you know, they were around or learning about wildlife or seeing wildlife that really changed, you know, the way that they, they live their life and really wanting to commit to doing better and and working in a space where they can, you know, make larger change. So that's interesting that your story as well sort of links back to, yeah, links back to your, your childhood and and something that, that happened in, in, yeah, like you said, when you were five or six years old. And similarly, I think about myself um, at that age and then, you know, grade fives and sixes trying to get my classroom to recycle or making uh, submissions to places where I could get trees to plant on the school grounds or whatever, you know, like really interested in that kind of stuff. And, and uh, it's, it really stays with you like that, that, those pieces of, of your childhood and how they sort of connect later in life. And you're like, Oh yeah, that, that probably led to where I am today a little bit anyway. So yeah. Definitely. I'm curious, where do you get your inspiration from or what keeps you sort of motivated? And I mean, this could be things you read or books or teachings or culture or people or projects you're working on. Um, yeah. How do you keep inspired and, and motivated to, to keep working um, and moving forward? This is also a very good question. And for me, um, I really struggle. I struggle to read nonfiction books. I struggle to listen to serious podcasts. I really am a bit of an escapist. I'm going to read a book. I want it to be like about a fantastic world. And I just really like to lose myself and stuff. So I have a hard time learning through those kind of traditional mediums where you read a book, read a paper, uh, listen to a podcast. And I learn way better because I am quite a social person from other humans. And so I, I'm motivated and I'm inspired by the people in my life. I, every year, I just feel like I'm in the right space at the right time because I just keep meeting more like-minded people and more people who have so much to teach me and, and other really passionate people like Roxanne, for example, is, is another dietitian and she cares so much about sustainability and she is creating this world and this professional practice that incorporates it. And I just could just listen to her talk for hours. I would learn more from her talking than I could ever learn from a book. And I have, I have a friend who just took a really great permaculture design course and she's designing my yard and she's just taught me so much about the soil. Oh, it's amazing. I know. I just bought a new house. And uh, so she is just dreaming about the yard with me. We're going to make it a whole edible landscape front and back. And 
we're going to take care of the soil and we're going to capture all the rainwater. And it's just going to be so wonderful. And when she talks, she just has so much knowledge and I just soak it all up. I just could learn from her forever. So having those people, those experts in my life that know so much, I, that's, that really keeps me inspired. And I, my, most of my inspiration and knowledge comes from a lot of really, really wonderful, wise indigenous teachers that I've had because um, I've, I've got just gotten so many land-based teachings and I really learned about the importance of connectivity and how everything in life is connected and, and, and really that concept of being a good steward of the land that has come to me from indigenous teachers and I just honor and respect and trust their teachings so much and, and continue to receive them. I'm so lucky that I'm in that world and that people let me in and that they share with me. And it just keeps that fire lit for sure. That's amazing. Yeah, it's so interesting. A couple of years ago, I was, as, as we get, I was busy working and I, I wasn't sure if I was going to take this week off to go up north and, and go on this paddling trip. I had a bunch of projects due and I almost canceled the trip. And, you know, I think I've realized in, in the five years since that time, like those, though that space where you can be surrounded by people who, you know, know so much about things that I just know nothing about. Like I, I, it's, it's incredible, the different knowledges. And then being with people who have that land-based knowledge um, and being in communities where that's been a part of their culture and their teachings for 10,000 years, it's just, it's incredible and, and really powerful. And so um, I'm conscious of, of, of that. And, and as you said, taking the time to sit and listen and understand and um, you know, none of us are really experts in, in anything. We just all have so much to, to learn and, and from each other and connect to each other. So um, agreed. I, I learn much more from folks around me than, than I do from, from books or, or, oh, or academic papers, which don't get me wrong. I, <laughs> I, enjoyed, I enjoyed my master's degree, but I, I, uh, I much prefer you know, going, going and, and meeting someone and, and going hunting and learning from them as opposed to reading a, an academic paper about, you know, why hunting is connected to food security. I would much rather experience that um, with someone. So, yeah. So uh, as a way to wrap things up, Sarah, you chatted a little bit about this, um, but you've talked a lot about, you know, your career and, and you just shared a little bit about your house. And uh, But I'm curious, you know, how do you incorporate that sustainability and environmental consciousness into your day-to-day -day life or your daily life? Um, what does that kind of look like for you? Well, every day it looks a little different. <laughs> Some days I'm better than others. Um, and speaking of literature and academics, like there is absolutely a place for that. And when I did my, when I finished my master's in public health, I completed a practicum with the Canadian Public Health Association. Mm -hmm. And my main project was to write a position paper on climate change and food security. And it ended up being about how climate change will impact food security in Canada, but also how food security will be impacted by climate change. And I, I already knew most of the concepts that I captured in my paper, but I, it's just had a more academic lens. But through it, I definitely solidified some of the daily actions that I wanted because I did a lot of reading about the responsibility of the person versus the responsibility of large corporations. And absolutely, we need 
reform in big egg and we need reform from mass corporations and we really need those commitments from those those bigger entities that we have no control over but there are things that we can do and and a lot of them are around food which is particularly relevant for me as a dietitian and so reducing food waste is huge it's really important and growing our own food is also really important and so those are two things two concepts that i try to work into my daily life um it's hard i live by myself so i do find that i waste more food than i've ever wasted in my life but I compost. Um, I used to have a vermicompost. And when I moved, I had to sacrifice my worm babies to my old garden, but I'll start that up again. I never get a lot of compost out of the vermicompost, but there's so much uh, power to, I don't know, smelling the soil and just having these living things in your home and getting to interact with them. Like I just found it such a rewarding thing to do. And I only ever got enough compost for my house my indoor house plants, never enough for like big gardens, but it was those little things like that, that connected me with nature throughout the year, even in winter, because I really find that miss, missing from my life. I have an arrow garden. I grow tomatoes in year in, in inside year round. And those things really keep me connected to the land when it's so cold out. But I also just try to minimize my impact. Like I really I don't buy single use servings. I don't buy paper towel. I don't buy saran wrap. I don't buy Ziploc bags. I don't buy all of those things that make life easier. Yes. Uh, but can be replaced by more sustainable items for sure. I spend extra money by buying local food. I support local businesses instead. I try to walk if I can walk instead of driving. It's just those little, for me, those little tiny changes every year. I don't really believe in New Year's resolutions, but every year I make one commitment to the land and I try to really honor it. Um, and last year I tried to make the commitment of only buying clothes made in Canada. And that is so hard. I have yes. not been consistent with oh that. You know, like there's, oh, it's so, so hard. But because we know that like even the clothing industry can be so harmful to the environment. And we have this kind of mindset of buying almost, almost single use clothing, you know, like really poor quality clothing that just ends up in a landfill and, and so much resources get put into making it and for them to just not last. And so I'm, I, I really, I'm conscious of those sorts of things and I just do my best to incorporate it, but I've, I, I used to lose sleep over it and now I don't, I know that I can't be perfect. And that quote that we don't need, you know, a few people doing zero waste perfectly. We need millions of people doing it imperfectly that hits with me so close to home. I just, I think we just all need to do a little bit better. Nobody needs to be perfect. Nobody needs to just give up everything and stop driving their car and go back to horse and wagon. Like we don't have to do those things, but we can all make these little changes throughout the day. Like stop buying saran wrap. You can use beeswax paper. Like there's just so, there's so many little alternatives and it's mm -hmm. harder for people with kids for sure, but it can be done. I have friends that do it. And so yeah. I just think it's important to get inspiration from the people around us who are making it work. And, and I do lots of little ridiculous things that probably don't have a big impact, but they make me feel good. And so they yeah. help keep me motivated. Like if I have a glass of water from the night before and I don't want to drink it, I put it in my houseplants. I don't pour it down the sink. You know, I, I don't let the water run for a long time when it's getting hot for my shower, like just really little things like that, but they make me feel better. I have compostable toothbrushes and I try to make sure most of my 
products are better for the environment or more sustainable or can be refilled in containers and that sort of stuff. And again, I try really hard not to preach about that sort of stuff, but it's hard. Like there's not a person in my office that doesn't know how I feel about single use Keurigs. <laughs> there's not a single person. I can't help it every time. I'm like, why guys? It's such a waste. Like I can't, I can't I hear some you. of that in. I hear you. And it's so funny. Like, similarly, um, I just, I was really struggling. I pretty much switched all of my products over. Um, We're we're so lucky. I think that there's, there's places in Regina as well. We're so lucky in Saskatoon to have a wonderful local store called Bulk Basket. You can literally buy anything, anything through them, like laundry detergent, dish soap, like literally baby soap, everything you can think of, you can get and you can refill in mason jars or old yogurt containers like they don't care it's lovely um and I just couldn't find one thing I was missing I have curly frizzy crazy hair and one thing I couldn't find was I was used I was still the one thing I was still using that comes out of a package was curl cream like something to not have crazy frizzy curls and I finally figured out a recipe (laughs) that works um and I get everything from bulk basket and I mix it together in my (laughs) in my stand mixer and voila I have curl cream and that week that I like discovered that I like I don't even know if I really got much work done because I was just so busy telling people (laughs) (laughs) and it's like most people a don't have curly hair b like don't care but I was just so excited that like (laughs) it's possible like this is the last thing I was really looking to change anyway not the last thing there's always things but um yeah it's interesting or folks come over and they're like oh can I get a uh like a serviette or a napkin I was like no like we don't have those I'm sorry or I'm like here's a cloth one sorry this is all I have this is what you get that's exactly how it is at our place it's so funny it's yeah but again it's like being cognizant that none of us it's not possible to be perfect and in fact you know I think the the debilitating anxiety that comes with trying to be perfect is is so not helpful so you know I love that quote as well and I think it's it's important to kind of recall that and remember that we're yeah we're all doing things as best we can and so we just try something little and new each day if you can or pick some like you said pick something new once a year and and really try to focus on that I think yeah we can all learn so much from from that so yeah and I have curly hair as well and that was that is been a long-standing issue for me that my hair products are probably my biggest guilt so please send me that recipe (laughs) I will send you the recipe and I had a few people reach out to me and say will you send me like a sample so I could try it first? (laughs) Sure. Like I can put it in a little jar and drop it off sometime. Anyways, so funny. Um, But yes, I will definitely send that to you. No problem. Um, (laughs) Well, this has been a great conversation, Sarah. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to be on the podcast and share your story with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I feel like I'm quite a novice or like fledgling sustainability person, but I'm just happy to be in this world and to learn from people like you for sure. So thank you. No problem. Thanks again, Sarah.
Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Sustainable Stories podcast. This podcast is hosted by myself, Jenna Inglot, as well as Roxanne Wagner from Sage Sustainable Solutions Consulting. For a full list of episodes, as well as more information about Sage, check us out online at sagesustainable.com. And as always, we welcome your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions. Catch you next time.